I want you to look at Mark chapter 10. The passage will be referring to several different stories. And the Holy Spirit led upon my heart to cover all of these stories together because they have a common theme here. A common theme. The first story we're going to be covering is basically the rich young ruler where he wanted to follow Jesus, but he was not able to be worthy enough to meet up the call. Then we'll cover the area where Peter makes a declaration that he did forsake all to follow him and to take up the call of Christ. Then the next story is where they do follow Jesus, but they near a city in Jerusalem and they are in fear. And Jesus gives them a warning that would actually discourage, but also encourage to follow him and their discipleship call. Then in 35 through 45, we see the final story where these are disciples who are currently following the Lord, but they come up, come through certain issues that prevent them from fulfilling or following properly the call of God. Because all of these share the same theme and subject, I'll be reading, uh, I will be preaching on all of these passages. I will only preach, uh, I will only read though uh, from one passage. We will start off with Matthew chapter 19, uh, Mark 10, excuse me, and verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. I empathize with this rich young ruler because a rich young ruler can pretty much picture a Laodicean Christian. If you recall Revelation 3, the Laodicean Christian said, I am rich, increased of goods, and have need of nothing. Is that not us today? So understanding that we are of that Laodicean mindset, we got to realize we would be very similar in the same mindset as this rich young ruler. Comfortable and full of goods in this Laodicean age. No matter how much you want to follow Jesus, or how much you're trying to follow Jesus Christ, 
You have to realize, am I still stuck in this Laodicean mentality? Because the rich young ruler is like a Laodicean Christian, rich, increased with good, but he thought he can follow Jesus Christ. He is sincere like every single one of you. He has a heart to follow Jesus Christ like every single one of you. As a matter of fact, he kept all the commandments and done all the precepts like a good Christian or a good follower of Christ would do. And in spite of that, Jesus Christ was acting dismissive toward him in the beginning verses, if you read it. He critiqued him, why callest thou me good? He said, just do this, 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 this. Knowing that he already did them, but he said that anyway, being dismissive of him. But the rich young ruler said, I did all that, I did all that, okay, I can take the critique. I still want to follow you. And isn't it amazing that Jesus Christ, seeing that he wants to follow him, he has the full intention and desire, he knows deep down inside that rich young ruler's heart, where he doesn't know it, he's stuck in that Laodicean comfort. And because of that Laodicean comfort, Jesus Christ says, okay, here's the real stuff. You ready for this? Let's see if you'll follow me. Forsake all those Laodicean riches you're comfortable with. Give that up and follow me. And the rich young ruler could not do that. I wonder how many of us today are that rich young ruler. You come to church. You're a Bible believer. You believe in all the right doctrines. You dressed well in church and you're trying to follow Jesus. I believe that every one of you, if not every one of you, nearly every single one of you, want to follow Jesus Christ and you have the full intention of doing so or at least you're trying to. You have a sincere heart. Down in your heart of hearts you want to. But like that rich young ruler, unknowingly you don't realize you're trapped in a Laodicean world that's preventing you from fully following Jesus Christ. We do not understand. Listen up now. We do not understand the cost of discipleship. We do not understand the hardness that will come from following Jesus Christ. We don't understand that. Pastor Sluter preached very well in the last week in revival meeting. Is that basically when we follow Jesus Christ, it's going to be hard. You can't just do the basics. You can't just do the basics. we got to realize the cost and the hardness of discipleship. If we were to understand this, then we would be forever happy, forever blessed, and it will make a permanent change in your life. Amen. But refusing to understand this reality and running away from the hardness of the call will make you forever struggle up and down will make you forever never see the joy of the Lord that you wanted to see or the blessing. I pray that this preaching will forever change your life. We have to understand, especially in this wicked area we live in, how much the hardness that we will endure if we have not seen that the past two years already. There is a cost in serving God. If we were to recognize this, nothing will discourage you from attending this church faithfully, consistently, getting involved in the Lord. 
It will forever change your life. I pray that this sermon will reach your heart of hearts. Will you pray with me for this is a hard message? Father God, this is a hard message and it needs a excellent delivery. You picked the worst person, but Heavenly Father, you are not wrong in your pick. So Father, I will yield completely to thy hands and will you anoint me and fill within me your spirit and cleanse my weaknesses, my sins and everything wrong inside of me with your blood so that this can come out the way you want it to be preached. Lord, reach the hearts of these disciples who want to follow you and may they be may they be broken free from that Laodicean comfort and that prison and truly be followers of thee in Jesus name I pray. Amen. Amen. We'll come to our first point right here is in verse 17 through 18. Notice that the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus Christ and says, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus Christ, when he responds to him, he could have told him how to inherit eternal life. Now, if you don't know about this, during the Old Testament times, they had to work for their salvation. Discipleship will many times mingle with Old Testament salvation here. So when I'm preaching about discipleship here, I don't want you to think the Old Testament salvation. We're in the New Testament. New Testament salvation is not a single work involved. It's only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So our New Testament salvation is separated from discipleship. Okay? No matter how you fail right here, you're still saved. Once saved, always saved. Amen. Amen. But remember this. We have discipleship. If we have discipleship along, then discipleship is going to require a lot of work. And it's going to require work and effort and hard times on our part. Now, as I read the Old Testament passage here, this is still Old Testament, believe it or not, because Jesus did not die on the cross yet. When he dies, then it's considered New Testament after that. So he did not die yet, so we're still in the Old Testament time period. Looking at this passage, the Old Testament focus is discipleship and salvation together, okay? So whenever we see that, I don't want you to think your salvation is mingled with that, okay? Yeah. I want you only focus this one, discipleship, Amen. okay? Now, returning to the text is that the rich young ruler, he wants to follow Jesus Christ. That's part of his salvation too. Jesus Christ, he could have given them the answer to inherit eternal life, to follow me, then all you have to do is this, this, this. He could have told them, forsake your riches, and then uh, follow me. But Jesus did not do that. He did not jump to verse 21 and t told him what to do. He could have gotten clear to the point, yeah. cut through all the shenanigans, and then just went to the point. But what Jesus says is not a shenanigan. He has a purpose and a point behind everything. So Jesus Christ was basically vetting him out. Okay? Jesus Christ had to vet him out first before getting to the clear-cut point of the matter. He first, what did he do? He critiqued him. He critiqued him. He says, why call sound me good? There's none good but one that is God. Amen. Now, Jesus Christ is not saying that I am not God, but what he's trying to point out right here is that rich young ruler, he didn't call him good Lord, right? 
or the great God. He called him good master. So in his mind, he's seeing Jesus Christ as man, as human. And Jesus Christ is simply trying to point out to him that, hey, you know, God is the only one that's good. No man is good on this earth. So he's trying to point out the deity, the deity of God himself, and that the mankind is all fallible and weak. So Jesus Christ was trying to point him out. Hey, 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 so not mankind is good. Remember God, okay? But why would Jesus Christ do that? Why would Jesus Christ critique his question? The rich young ruler did the right thing. Remember that. He did not mess up when he went to verse 17, okay? He did not mess up. He did the right thing. He wanted to follow Jesus Christ, and all he's asking is, what can I do? It's like many of us rich, young, loud, saying Christians. Comfortable, need of nothing. And because we're so used to that comfort, we don't know what we really need. Like this rich young ruler, he didn't know what he really needed. What he really needed was that Laodicean prison was keeping him back and he needed to forsake that. Jesus Christ could have cut down to that point, but he didn't. He first critiqued his request, his question. I want to follow you. The rich young ruler said, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And in that question where he's asking, what can I do to have the inheritance, to dis have good discipleship? Jesus Christ found in that same statement, there's something wrong right there. There's something wrong right there in that question you asked, and that needs to be corrected. A lot of us are like that rich young ruler. We don't realize that even though we have a good intention inside the heart, Lord, what can I do so that I can have the inheritance in your kingdom as a good disciple? We don't realize that when we ask that question, there's something in that question that we ask that God finds a critique and he says, no, we need to correct that part first. Do you realize that? You might go, what's that, pastor? I mean, out of the deepest of heart, I just want to serve God. All right, but then think about this. When you ask that question, Jesus Christ is asking you a question in return. Why? Why? You notice that right there? Why callest thou me good? If you know Jesus' tendency, he doesn't answer your question clear and easy like your pastor does. Why? Because Laodicean Christians and people on the online want something simple and to the point. We don't like to put in effort to think. Jesus wants you to think. If you know your Lord's tendency. If you look at Mark chapter 8, for example, Mark chapter 8, Jesus Christ, he always uh, talks as if it's in abstract wording that you don't get it. In Mark chapter 8, verse 15, Jesus said, and he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. So then they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, That's not what I meant. What I meant is wrong doctrine of the Pharisees. No. He's asking them, Why do you ask that you don't have bread? He doesn't answer. He always says, why did you say that? You know what Jesus wants when you say, I want to follow you, Jesus. Jesus Christ says, why do you say that? Uh, 
Yes, in your heart of hearts, you have the intention. You love God, you want to serve Jesus Christ, but a lot of people don't think about why first before they say, I want to follow you, Jesus. They don't ask why. Do you ask yourself why? Why? All of a sudden, you're coming to church faithfully. Why? Why? Is it because a revival meeting happened? And a new speaker besides your pastor preached something there? That's what made you serve God? Well, you better pray to God then that luck will strike that a new preacher will give that kind of sermon every single time to keep you right with God then. So why do you want to serve God all of a sudden, faithfully come to church? Why? Because of that sermon? You better pray to God that he keeps preaching that sermon then. Because the next sermon that your pastor might preach might be a dull one. You ever thought about, why do I want to come, uh, why do I want to go out soul winning and win some souls to Christ? Why? Why? Is it because that you saw other brethren doing it? And it motivated you so much and you're like, man, brother so-and-so was able to do that. Sister so-and-so was able to do that. I can do it too. And it encouraged you. Nothing wrong about that, but you have to ask yourself why you do that. Because there's going to come soul winning days. No one wants to win a soul. And you're going to have to do it. You ever ask yourself, uh, why do I uh, stay away from this sin? Is it because... That you want to be holy and serve God? Is there a deeper reason behind that? Why do you want to stay away from that sin? Is it because you tasted the price of sin? And knew how much it hurts you? That's why you're like, I learned my lesson, I'm not going back. Well, you better pray to God then that with future sins that you commit, the price will be shown every single time so you don't commit those sins then. See, the problem is we don't ask ourselves, why do we sing hymns? Why do we come to church? Why am I want to help out the pastor in the ministry? Why do I even ask, is there anything that I can do to help? Why, 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 why? Is it because uh, people here motivate you? Is it because out of pity? Is it because you have nothing else to do so you find more meaning right over here? Is it because some kind of, what is it, Why? And then you better pray to God that those reasons of yours will stand for life because they don't all the time. You know why people don't follow Jesus Christ? They done it. They started out with the wrong reason. They started out with the wrong beginnings. And you always have to ask yourself, why am I here in this church? Why am I getting involved? Why am I serving God? Before you say, I want to follow you, Jesus. Why? Why? Next thing we're going to look at is in Mark chapter 10. Notice in verse 19 through 20, Jesus Christ, (coughs) instead of coming to the point, hey, just forsake your riches and follow me. No, he's saying, hey, you already know what to do. You got to. Keep the commandments, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. You got to do this and this and this. And the rich young ruler, he knew all of that. And he said, look, I've already done that from my youth. I've already done that from my youth. The rich young ruler knows that those commandments are not enough. That those are merely basics. And that there's something more that he has to do. So what is missing from his life, from his discipleship? And then Jesus Christ, knowing that, that's why he was dismissive of him. 
That's why in that text, he was being dismissive of him. Instead of just saying, hey, forsake your riches, he just says, well, just do those basics, 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 okay? And the rich young ruler could have said, okay, I've already done that. I'm going to go back home. But no, the rich young ruler said, no, I did. I've done all that, Jesus. What lack I yet? And then the next verse shows that Jesus had a positive response, not a negative. Jesus looked at him and loved him, the next verse says, right? Why? Because he can see right here that the rich young ruler's heart is not content with the basics, but that there's something more he knows that he should be doing for the Lord. Amen. So then think about this. I wonder how much we fare better than this rich young ruler. As rich, young, Laodicean Christians, we know the commandments of God. You know, you got to dress right. You know, you can't listen to this kind of music. You got to stay away from that sin and then, you know, get to church and then help out and then read the Bible, pray, and you know all those stuff. But the problem is, is that we think that our discipleship is over with and done because we know the basics and what to do as a Christian. You know what the problem is? That's not enough to be a disciple. That's not enough to be a disciple. Discipleship is not a calling of all these basics that I do. Because then think about the millions of Christians who are probably doing basics better than you and I. Wow. Even those who are of wrong doctrine. Those who are of wrong doctrine who are probably doing basics better than you, you and I. We have to understand that the call of discipleship is not just the basics and we're done. I want you to look at 1 John 5. The Apostle John worded this well. Look at 1 John 5. Keep your hand at Mark 10. We're going to go back there. I want you to go to 1 John 5. The problem with Christianity today is that we think that we're disciples of Jesus. We think we're Bible-believing Christians, that we're doing well for God because I have kept his commandment and done them well. But discipleship is deeper than that. It's not just, hey, here are my commandments and do them. I've done it all, Lord. Look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are what? They're not grievous. Jesus Christ, when he wants a disciple, he wants to see something where you will still follow him in spite of something that grieves you very deeply. That's the cost of discipleship. Didn't Jesus Christ say, follow me? And we're supposed to be disciple followers of Jesus? Jesus Christ kept all the commandments. Was he not done and finished then? He lived only. He lived without sin. But Jesus Christ knew he was not done. He had to do an act that would be very grievous to him. And that's why he said, I'm not done yet. Living 33 and a half years without sin, following God's commandments is not enough. I need to die on the cross and take all the sins of mankind upon myself. I need to do a grievous act to show the ultimate, to show the ultimate action of the cost and sacrifice of following the Lord. That's why Jesus Christ, did you notice right here, Jesus Christ back at Mark chapter 10? When Jesus Christ at verse 21 told the rich young ruler, okay, not the commandments, sell everything that you have, verse 22 says, and he went away what? He went away grieved. 
See, because Jesus know that his commandments are not grievous to this rich and ruler. And he said, no, no, I need to do something that will grieve him and see if he will follow me. He says, sell your, sell your riches. He couldn't do that. That's why he could not become a disciple of Jesus Christ. He could not follow him. You know, doing all these things, you have to realize that doing all these basics so I've done my best for Jesus. Oh, really? Have I really? Like that song goes, I wonder have I done my best for Jesus. Really? Really? His commandments are not grievous. How much grief have you went through yesterday? How much grief have you went to, through today to come to church and serve God? How much grief have you went through the past week in serving God? I know why you still follow Jesus and do well. You know why? Nothing grief, grievous happened to you. And as long as the flow goes like this, where no, nothing bad happens when I drive to church, nothing bad happens when I read the Bible and pray, nothing will interfere with my schedule and plans when I help out the ministry, then I can keep following Jesus Christ. Because everything is smooth and nothing interferes. Nothing grief has happened to me. Okay, then the devil, all he has to send is a grievous thing. And he'll get you out of following Jesus Christ. You know what, you, what it takes to follow Jesus Christ? <laughs> Not what you're doing now. Keeping the commandments, you should. But they're just the basic. The ultimate thing is, in spite of something grievous, and you know what it is that grieves you. See, if I tell you all the specifics, read your Bible, pray, do soul winning, stay away from sin, stuff like that. I mean, that, I mean I'm not saying it won't convict you, but it won't convict you as much. But when I point out the thing that you know that really grieves you and tells you if that thing did happen to you, will you still follow Jesus Christ and trust him and walk by faith? Will you? See, we don't understand the cost of discipleship. It happens when something grieves us. Grieves us. That's the real cost of discipleship, not the basics. If you think that what you're doing right now, coming to church, dressing your best, helping out with the tech, volunteering sheep for the kitchen, helping out taking care of the kids, and then being here prompt on time, and then attending all the programs and fellowshipping with the people, my friend, you still don't understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ. You don't. You only understand when something really grievous happened to you. And then you grit your teeth and walk by faith and then pray to the Lord and surrender and kept serving God. And you saw how he helped you overcome. And you clung on to him. You would not let go. And you kept serving him. Amen. Some of you went through that before. You've tasted a little bit of what the cost of discipleship is. That's discipleship. You think that by, uh, as long as I keep doing this, then I can keep serving God. As long as you can keep doing this, what if, uh, as long as nothing grievous happens to you, that's what you mean, right? Goes by your flow, your schedule, your mood, your feelings. Everything is set in the environment just right, and the believers are treating you just right. The pastor always does everything and guides you just right. As all those settings are in place because the world, the flesh, and the devil will not give me a bad day, I can keep serving God. Really? You don't know the cost of discipleship. I want you to look at verse 21 through 22. 
People, Bible believers do not understand this. Jesus told him to sell whatever he had. Those riches, right? And the rich young ruler at verse 22 could not give up his riches. He was sad. You know, he perfectly pictures us Laodicean, I hesitate to say Christian, I want to say Laodicean Bible believer. Laodicean Bible believer. Because you Bible believers love Jesus Christ. You want to serve him. And nothing gets you more sad than when that guilty feeling comes that you let God down. Not smoking, not drinking, not sinning, not doing this kind of stuff. It's letting God down. Because you're a Bible believer. You want to please the Lord. You want to serve Him. You want to do what's right. I understand that. And what gets to you, what makes you very sad is not something bad that happens. But what gets you really sad is you know you did not meet up the demands of discipleship. That's what eats you up. You did not meet up the demands of discipleship and that eats you up, that haunts you. And it's kind of like Judas Iscariot trying to make it up with penance, with works, throwing away his silver. But he still died and went to hell. It's sad, isn't it? The Bible, the Holy Spirit recognizes that. God's not being mean. God understands. God says in verse 21, he loved him. He wasn't trying to intimidate him or offend him. He loved him. Verse 22, the Holy Spirit specifically records he was sad. The Holy Spirit never said he was backslidden. He was not right with God. It just said he was sad. And that's you. Laodicean Bible believer who wants to follow Jesus Christ, but because you cannot meet the demand of discipleship, you say, you go sad, and God knows. And he loves you. He pities you. It's sad. Very, very sad. You can tell from Jesus' language at verse 23 and 24, the exclamation point, right, of his response. That shows that he was sad too. He had feelings too. We don't understand this. When you come to this church, listen up now, all right? I don't want to scare people away, and I don't believe in scaring people away. But I believe this is important for you to hear. You don't realize as soon as you set foot in this church what kind of world of hurt that you're going to go through. What you signed up for. What kind of attacks that the, sa- that the devil has targeted you with. That your life is in jeopardy, your family is in jeopardy, and all that you own is in jeopardy. You don't realize what you signed up for. Why? Because the Bible says right here, grief. Grief. Why? Because he had great possessions. Great possessions. Uh, Did you uh, recall Hebrews chapter 12? No chastening of the Lord seemeth to be joyous. I get it. You know, there's no better life than to be a Bible believer. I want to trade that for a world. God's blessed me so much beyond what I even dreamed of. I, I'm living more happy than I am today than I was many years ago. But we don't realize that, yes, it's true. There's joy in the Christian walk. It's better to serve God than in sin. But the verse says in Hebrews 12, now no chastening of the Lord 
at the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, grievous. You don't realize that when you signed up to be a Bible-believing Christian at the present, you're feeling grief, guilt, depression, heaviness, struggle. Easier said than done. Be a Bible believer. It's better to serve God than the world. Easier said than done. It's hard. It's grievous. And you get your family turning against you. Even fellow Bible believers who should know better judging you when you're trying to sincerely serve God. When things that never happened before, problems never happened until you came to this church and you're like, why did that happen? Grievous things. Grief happens when you come to this church. And people don't realize that. That's why when they come to church, they're like, oh, church is not as exciting as I thought. Oh, I found it better than the world. This is not what I signed up for. Uh, why is church like this? Is, oh, why did I face, you know, dissension in the church? And then there's no real love in this church. Do you realize what you signed up for? Not the Garden of Eden. Line up. Everyone would line up then. This ain't the Garden of Eden. This is war. This is a suffering world. This is taking up your cross and following him. This is crucifixion, execution date. Get those spikes, baby, and nail it through your wrist. Amen. That's what you signed up for. No wonder Christianity is one of the most unpopular things to sign up and live for. You don't realize how much grievous it is. Why? Because great possessions. You know what? That means something possesses you. It's a great thing. Look, I, that's why as Bible-believing Christians, we should not get hard on people who don't come back to this church, who are struggling. Amen? Yeah, you better say amen because that's you, okay? Amen. That's uh, you too, Pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen, amen. amen. That's why I try not to. <laughs> you have to understand something great, something great in their life really got them away from serving God. Something deep. That's why they find it hard to serve God. Why? Because they didn't expect that. They didn't sign up for that. Probably some of you didn't expect that now, until now. Something great, something great gets you out of the race. Something great stops you from Bible reading. Something great prevents you from coming to church. Nothing here, everybody's burdens and problems and trials are all different. But to that specific individual, it's so great, it was enough for them to quit following Jesus Christ. You don't realize the cost of discipleship. It's a great thing that will hurt you, prevent you from following Jesus. Did you expect that? That's why you're out. That's why you're not really following God, because it was so deep and great. Do I belittle it? No. Am I hard on you? No, because it's so great. But that's why you need to know. If I never tell you it's great, then when that great thing happens, you're never ready. Look at verse 23 through 24. 23 through 24. Jesus Christ, he responds to his disciples. 
How hard is it that those who have riches can go into the kingdom of God? And the disciples, when they hear that, they're like, well, that's, uh, that's pretty mean. Then you're saying that no rich person is going to go to heaven, Jesus? And Jesus, he answers again. He clarifies himself at verse 24. Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? So Jesus Christ clarifies, I'm not saying that those who have riches can't go to heaven, you know, that's hard for them. No, no, no. I'm saying that those who trust in their riches, it's hard for them to go to heaven. Now, the thing is, is that these are disciples who follow Jesus Christ, yes? But they don't realize that these disciples who follow Jesus Christ, listen, they are not grown Christians. They're still probably, probably the babe level of spiritual growth. Wait, wait, these are the disciples who preach, who cast out devils, and then who healed and followed Jesus, did not have a roof over their heads. You're telling me they're still babes? Yeah. You might say, why? Because Jesus Christ right here, he called them children. Do you think Jesus, at verse 24, he's like, yeah, here, let me explain myself. Let me make it easier for you to understand. No, Jesus Christ was not happy. He said, when he said children, that's not a compliment, okay? That's like, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches? Why? Because he's saying, look, how long have I been with you that I have to put up with you and you still don't know what I'm saying? Do you recall Jesus saying that to his disciples before? He did, right, I think? He did that before, right? I think more than once, right? He called them faithless generation. He said, how long shall I put up with you? And Jesus Christ is saying, hey, you should know this. But if we were in the disciples' shoes, you and I would go, no, God, I need you to clarify it to me. That's your problem. You're a Laodicean comfortable mindset that you need to Google something where it's so clear and you get an answer directly in 0.5 seconds rather than studying yourself, rather than growing in knowledge of the scriptures, rather than being a spiritual grown adult. And pastor has, it, has to have an answer 0.5 second every single time. And pa- I'll be okay as long as pastor is here. You know what the 1 Corinthians 14 says? Turn over there. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'll see 10 of you next Sunday. The rest of you probably won't return. God be with you till we meet again as the song goes. You didn't know what you signed up for. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, notice what the Bible speaks right here in 1 Corinthians Uh, chapter 14, and uh, excuse me, I think it's 2 Corinthians, Uh, pardon me, 2 Corinthians chapter 14, oh no, there's no 14, it's 13, so I'm wrong about everything, okay, (laughs) so it looks like I may have lost the passage, but uh, it should be here, but the Bible says in, uh, I believe, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Bible quotes that you be not children in uh, verse 20. Here we go. Verse 20. Brethren, be not children in what? Understanding. Un- understanding. How be it in malice be children, but in understanding be what? Amen. You know what Jesus expected? Which kind of sounds a little hard. 
Jesus expected the disciples to understand what he's saying. Why? Because don't be a child in understanding. Be a man in understanding. Why is that important? Basically, the difference with a child and adult is maturity versus immaturity. As you go through discipleship, I wonder how many of us still have those immature tendencies that are stuck in our mind that prevent us from following and understanding God's ways of guiding and leading us along. You know why you quit the Christian race? I don't mean to be mean. It's because you're a spiritual baby. You have an immature mindset. You might say, man, that's hard. Well, J Jesus said so. You know why? He expects you to be grown adult in understanding. And if you know yourself, can you honestly say you're a spiritually grown, mature Christian? If not, as you remain immature, then those immature tendencies will rule your life as you follow Jesus Christ, and you'll never understand the way he tells you to do things. And that's why when you go through hard times, you always go, why, God? And when the Christian life is too complex and you don't have an answer for it, you get depressed and discouraged. And that's the reason why when you're serving God, you're forever dependent upon some spiritual pillar here, some people, rather than yourself and God. Why? You still got those immature tendencies stuck in you. You can't be a grown adult where you can come here to church early, dressed right, say amen, cast away that negative attitude, trust God, and take in criticism, dissension, imperfections in the church, be mature enough to hear the preaching and say amen, come down on the altar, repent properly, go back home, and make sure that your house and your family and your life is all fixed and set in order as soon as church is over. You can't be a grown adult to do that. You are forever immature that every time I need to hear something better, something better, something more convicting, and then I'll change my life. You'll, you'll never understand the way God will do things. That's why you think the world's more convincing. Your fleshly ways are the answer. You know why? Immature in understanding. A mature Christian will see the whole perspective and say, look, this is what, a, what is expected. The flesh is strong. The flesh is so weak and that... God, I've seen him do miracle after miracle. I got to trust in him. I believe he's given me the grace to endure it, even if my flesh tells me that I don't have the strength to do it. I believe, have faith in God. I know too much of that book, and I've experienced so much with God and me. How can I go back and you move on? That's a mature adult. But without those things, what does the immature mind do? It's too hard. Somebody help me. I can't do it anymore. Oh, God, why aren't you there for me? There's got to be a better answer. Oh, I feel so bad that I can't serve God, so I might as well not serve God anymore. A mature person would take in whatever command, no matter how hard it is from God, whatever rebuke it is, repent sincerely, and even if he falls, then he'll get himself back up, drag himself, and keep on fighting on for God. Amen. Rather Amen. than waiting for someone to pray for him or her, rather than waiting for someone to follow up and encourage him or her, rather than waiting for pastor to someday 
hit the right message that might hit him or her. Children in understanding. Verse 25 through 27. 25 through 27. Notice right here that a camel, Jesus uses a I don't know why he keeps using a camel, okay? But he uses that a camel can go through an eye of a needle, then a rich man enter into, the, into heaven, and then the disciples are like, well, then who can get saved? And then Jesus says, well, with men it's impossible, but with me, with God, all things are possible. I always, that bothered me. I'm like, why would Jesus use that sarcasm? Basically, the eye of a needle is literally what it says, which scholars cannot agree with. There's no way a camel can go through an eye of a needle. It's called sarcasm, okay? <laughs> Jesus Christ was showing the impossibility of the situation, all right? He's showing the impossibility of a situation that a camel can't squeeze through that eye of a needle and... It's perhaps that needle you're using for sewing. It's easier for a camel to go through that than for a rich man to go through, uh, to enter the kingdom of God. There's another time Jesus Christ used the camel again for sarcasm, and that was Matthew 23. You know what Jesus said at Matthew 23 to the Pharisees? You that strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Do you think Jesus meant that? Oh, it's impossible. No one can swallow a camel. Or do you think he was, it's called sarcasm? Sarcasm. When Jesus uses sarcasm, he always uses a camel. I'm like, why not a tiger? You know? Why not a lion? Why not a gorilla? You know? Or, or a dinosaur? That's a big creature. Why, why, why does it have to be a camel? There's one unique thing about a camel compared to other animals. Let's say that camel can squeeze... Suppose, suppose a camel can squeeze through something so small. There is one thing that will always interfere. The bump on his back. That's why when you swallow a camel, you might think you can, but get ready for those bumps. You might squeeze that camel through that eye of a needle, maybe, supposedly, out of pretense, hypothetically, but that, don't forget that bump. You know what the problem is with us Christians? We try to enter into the kingdom of God, not in a salvation sense, but in discipleship, in service. We try to serve God thinking that all these riches that I have, this Laodicean prison that I have, I can keep following Jesus Christ and serve him with all this. No, you don't. A camel with bumps on it will have better luck than your riches. So what is Jesus Christ comparing your riches as a bump? You don't realize? How can you serve and follow God with a bump? There's a bump on your road when you're journeying to heaven. There's a bump along the road. And you think that, well, I can, uh, I can go to heaven with all of this kind of stuff. I can serve Jesus Christ with all of this Laodicean luggage. And God says, no, those are bumps. Those things are bumps on your service to Jesus Christ. You need to clear those bumps out of the road. Do you realize when you came to church today that probably some of you are bringing bumps in here? And you think you can serve and follow Jesus Christ with that bump. You know what Jesus Christ said? Impossible. Do you understand the weight of that word? 
impossible. Do you understand? How can people think it's possible? Well, I, I know it's not likely, preacher, but, but I, I think I can squeeze it somehow and squeeze, squeeze a camel through an eye of a needle with that bump. Those riches are bumps. No stinking way. Jesus says, not likely, or it's possible, or maybe even a 1% chance, or a 0.001% chance. Jesus said, impossible, doing it with man's way. Did you get that through your thick heads yet? Wow. How can we think that we can follow Jesus Christ? That's the Antichrist government. You know that right now? They think they can bring in the kingdom, God's kingdom, their own way. Impossible with man. Your way. Good luck. Keep praying to God because I think you'll need every power of God because you're doing all your own way. Brother, sister, in Christ. In your soul winning, you're doing your own way. In your shouting, you're doing your own way. In your Bible reading and prayer, you're doing it your own way. In fellowship, you're doing it in your own way. In coming to church, you're doing it your own way. Impossible. Impossible. But if you understand that, God gives you good news. With God, it's possible. Amen. You know what? A camel can't go through that eye of a needle, that means. Amen. With that bump. Amen. When you serve God, you think that there are bumps that you cannot overcome as you serve God. But as long as you're with God and not with man, not your way, but God's way, no matter what the bump is or how many bumps are from that camel's back, it will squeeze in right through that eye of a needle. Triple. Amen. So why is it that you get out of the race, you don't want to serve God because, oh, this, this what, bump? What, job? Health? Loved one? You're too spiritually weak? You weren't born to do this? It's so tough? Life is very much filled with pain and suffering? Bumps? With God, all things are possible. But you trust your own way, man's way better, right? Then remember this, impossible. Did you get that through your thick head yet? Or is human nature so stubborn it'll never learn that? How weak our flesh is and we keep resorting to our own way of doing things to serve God. Why can't man ever learn their lesson? That's a lesson for the past 6,000 years that should have gone through the thick skulls of mankind's head. They still never learn. They still do it their own way of pleasing God, serving God, following Jesus, their own way. That's what this wicked world is doing right now. They think they're pleasing Jesus, serving God, doing it their own way. Verse 28 through 31. 28 through 31. Notice right here that Peter says, Hey, we left all to follow you. And Jesus Christ, he answers at 29 to 30, If you forsook all to follow me, you're going to get hundredfold this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mother, children, lands. I mean, isn't that wonderful? When you serve Jesus Christ as you serve him as a disciple, Yes, there is the blessing. You all know that. There's no better joy than living for God 
living for God. No better blessing than living for God. The world can never give you that. God holds all the universe and time and space in his hands and he just offers them bit by bit to you. The world cannot offer you that. And you know it. It has blessing. But Jesus Christ, you know what he said? With persecutions. He didn't say joy, happiness, peace. My God shall supply all your needs. All things work together for good. The end. He says with persecution. He put that in there. Why did you have to do that, God? Because he's trying to be realistic. He's trying to be realistic. If you're testing the blessing now, that you're tasting the blessing now, guess what? It comes along with persecution. What does persecution mean? It means hindrance. Something deliberately done to hinder you. Go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. That's why people get out of the Christian race. They can't follow the cost of discipleship. Why? Because even though God has blessed them and God has blessed you currently with so much, you're still out. Why is that? Because that, those two words, with persecution. Something persecuted you, meaning something hindered you from serving God. Do you realize that as you serve God as a disciple, expect the devil to hinder you, to put something that will prevent you from following Jesus. Even though I'm blessed, Pastor, yeah, even though after you're blessed, the devil will hinder you, like he did with Job. Job was blessed and had all the riches, but Satan tried to hinder him. Well, then how can I stick to the race, Pastor? Well, Jesus warned about that. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 21. Verse 20 through 21. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. So here you are in verse 20. You receive the word of God. You're happy. You're serving God. Lord, I will follow you. But then you only go for a while at verse 21. Why? For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Gets you out. Something hindered you from following Jesus. What if verse 21, what if verse 21 said, yet hath he root, not yet hath he not root. If he had root in himself, he would have stayed. You know what a root is? You know, when you pull a plant out of the ground, the thing that's annoying about some of these plants is when they get a long root, right? When a long, what is a root? A root can go very deep. And when you pull out one thing, all of a sudden another, uh, another line comes out and then another line and another line because they're all connecting to different lines. And you're like, man, it's like, it's like oh man, there's no way I'm going to pull this thing out because there's so many lines out of this root that's sticking out, sticking to different places, even if you pull out one line, there's another line that's sticking. And you pull out 10 of those lines, there's still probably 20 more down there. Woo! Do you get the point right here? You know why persecution gets you out of the race? You have no root. And if your root is, everything is Pastor Kim, pray for me. Everything is Pastor Kim, pray for me. Good luck with that. Because once that one line comes out from the root, and that's all your root, you're out. You're plucked out. 
But if you have 20 more in there, or maybe 50 more, a root in him singing, a root in the brethren here supporting you, a root in God, faith in the Lord, a root in remembering his promises, a root in quoting scripture verses, then the devil will have a hard time to throw persecution and no hindrance will get you out of the race. How deep is your root? I'll tell you what, one Sunday main service is not going to cut it. A root so deep it's intertwined with Wednesday prayer, Wednesday singing, Sunday singing, and then a root so deep where involvement ministry, helping out the kids, and a root with my family serving God, my kids serving God, my spouse serving God, a root where my pastor, I'm trying to follow his advice and growing in his counsel. And when that root runs so deep and wide, the devils can throw whatever persecution he wants. But guess what? You're still stuck in the ground, buddy. Amen. How deep's your root? Look at Mark 10 and verse 32 through 34. Mark 10, 32 through 34. The Bible says that in verse 32, when they were following Jesus, remember Peter said, I'll follow you, Lord, right? At verse 28, 28, Peter said, I'm going to follow you all the way. I left everything. And then immediately, verse 32, the test comes. Peter follows Jesus, but in fear. Why? Because he's afraid to get killed there. You know what's interesting? If you look at Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, come, follow me. And the Bible says Peter straightway forsook his nets and followed him. You're like, man, that's discipleship right there. Well, hold on a minute now. He's not stable though. Mark 10, Peter says, I forsook straightway, Lord, remember? And followed you. And then immediately, he's following him in fear. Did you read that? It says that. He's following him in fear at verse 32. Did you read uh, Mark chapter 14? You know what it says in 54? We won't look there. 54? Then what happened was he follows in fear, and then the next phase is he followed him afar off. He was afraid, but that fear made him, okay, I'm going to follow you still, but I need a little break. I need to do it at a distance. I need to do it my own way. And he follows him afar off. Then when you go to John 21, isn't it interesting? John 21, Peter's not following Jesus. Even after his resurrection, you might say, no, he was. No, then why did Jesus, after he resurrected, came, appeared to them the third time, I think, and then said to Peter, come follow me. You know what? Peter, he got out of following Jesus. Why? Do you, re do you notice in John 21 what Peter went back to when he didn't follow Jesus? Fishing. All the way at the beginning of Mark 1. The beginning of beginnings where he followed Jesus. Jesus said, forsake your fishing, fishing, fishing. Come follow me. And the Bible says Peter straightway forsook his fishing net. But he went back. Why? 
That's what happens in discipleship. You're too rash. You're too impudent. I'll follow you. I'll do whatever you want, God. Well, you better be careful, buddy, because the devil knows that he can get you out of following Jesus and get you back to where you used to do things. Where you used to do things, that old life, that simple nature. No, lordship, salvation, I'm changed, I'm clean. Hey, that dreaded old man is going to creep back up. Those temptations, those weaknesses of yours, the devil will bring it right back up. Why do you think it won't happen to you? The devil is going to make you go back to that thing. The devil is going to get that thing out and say, why? Because you follow, you follow it. I'm going to follow and then something bad happens. You fear. Then you follow him fearfully. And God forbid, some of you are doing that right now. You followed him. You forsook your fishing world, your worldly ways. But now you're following him in fear. I don't know, and I don't know, and I don't know. If you're not careful, you're going to be like some other people here who are following him afar off. No, I can't, I, uh, I can't, uh, I got this. And then eventually, you're going to be like some who are not here anymore. John 21, I go back to fishing. I go back to the world, to the lust of my flesh, to how I used to do things. It naturally, it tends to go there whether you consciously meant to do it or not. The flesh's tendency is to go back to your dark desire, your intent, if you're not careful. Peter, if he listened to God, you know what Jesus said at verse 33, 34? Jesus said, it wasn't encouraging. Jesus said, you know what's going to happen? And Peter's like, what, Lord? And he's following in fear. And Jesus said, they're going to kill me and beat me up. <laughs> Peter, I ain't going to encourage him in discipleship. He's just confirming his fear. You know what Jesus was trying to do? Be realistic. Hey, Peter, get out of this fantasy land right here. You need to know, yes, the bad thing will happen that you're afraid of. But I will rise again. Now think about it. If Peter really heard that, if he really believed that, he probably would not have denied Jesus and went back to fishing. He would have said, hey, he's going to die. I already know that. He warned me it's going to be bad. It's going to be awful. And it's horrible. But he told me he will rise again. I will wait for that day. He could have done that. And then he would have stayed in discipleship. You You know what your problem is? You need Jesus to tell you. And the Holy Spirit is trying to open up your eyes right now. Hey, get out of La La Land. It's going to be bad. They're going to beat you up. They're going to scourge you. There's going to be horrible bloodshed. But I promise I'll be with you. I promise every pain and trial, I'll turn it for good. You've seen me work too many times, child. We'll pull through this together. Don't worry. No matter how high that wave of the storm is, that boat will not sink. If you really heard that, and if you really believe that, you'd stay in the Christian race. Your problem is you don't believe the negative report as well as the positive report. You want to pretend those two things don't exist and go your own way. I don't know if that made any sense to you. I want to wrap it up. 35 through 40. 35 through 40. I don't want to ruin the conviction and the flow of the Holy Spirit, though. But I will wrap it up quickly. 
35 through 40, James and John, they go to Jesus Christ and they said, uh, Lord, uh, we have a desire, a petition to ask. And then Jesus says, uh, what can I do for you? And they said, for us to sit in your right hand and on your left hand. And Jesus says, no, that's not for me to give. So he turns down their petition. Don't you think James and John, when they signed up for disciples, they thought about the blessing we're going to receive is we're going to reign with Jesus Christ when he sets up his kingdom on earth, right? So James and John are like, hey, Jesus, we've done all this for you. We sacrificed. Uh, we were disciples and we're your Blessing is not the way that you thought you would be blessed. And that's why people quit their discipleship. They're weak in their discipleship. You know why? You have your own fantasy, your expectation of what God's real blessing should be. Can I tell you something? This is something you'll thank me. You won't thank me now. You'll probably hate me for saying this, but you will thank me later if you do this. Thank God he did not bless you the way you wanted to be blessed. Yes. Thank God he blessed you the way he wanted you yes. to be blessed. You, you saw 1 you saw Kings chapter 4, for example. Solomon had the same thing like James and John. God said, you can ask me whatever you want. I'll bless you. I'll give it to you. You know what Solomon said? He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for women. He didn't ask for possessions, great land, or fame. He just said, he didn't even ask, listen up, he didn't even ask for knowledge. He asked for the wisdom to discern, to discern what's right and wrong. God was so happy. He said, you know what? I'm going to turn your wisdom into so much like even knowledge itself. With riches, possessions, fame, and everything you could ask. Isn't it interesting? When you look at Solomon's life, when he messed up, all those other blessings God gave to him turned out to be his weakness, riches, possession, fame, even knowledge. But there's one thing God blessed him that was his saving grace, at least that wisdom to discern what's right and wrong. At least he ended that at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Let's sum up the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, he said. You know what that means? That blessing that Solomon properly asked for was the one that was the real blessing at the end. Not all these other blessings God gave to him. That turned out to be his weakness. What's my point? My point is, you might be Solomon's case where you want God to give you the riches, the possessions, the fame, and all that you want God to bless you with. But trust me, those blessings could turn out to be your weaknesses at the end. And you'd want the blessing God will bless you with. The best thing is not to have an expectation of what God to bless you. Just walk by faith that I know God will bless me and I'll be forever happy. Amen. Just really believe that. Thank you, Pastor. It should be that simple, but we don't. 
That's why people don't serve God as faithful disciples. Their expectations are not met. The last part, and I'll close it here. <clears throat> 41 through 45, the 10 disciples hear about James and John request and they get upset. And Jesus Christ teaches them, hey, 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 um, the, it's not about who's going to be the greatest, all right? If you get the greatest ranking, the greatest blessing, the top level, that's not what it matters because if you want to reach the top, you're going to hit the bottom, Jesus said. You should realize, church, that when you see a James and John and you're that 10 who get displeased and you're like, why should they get it better than me? Why should they have it better? That ruins a lot of preachers and Bible-believing Christians and gets them out of their Christian race because they see someone whom God has blessed, whom God put at the top, and you're like, God, why don't you give that to me? Again, you have your own expectation of blessing. You forgot what discipleship was. It's not about being at the top. You will get blessed, of course. You will. But it comes from being at the bottom level, not at the top. It's being a servant. Jesus Christ said one verse that I want you to remember as I close it right now. It's not about being the greatest because then you'll become the least, Jesus said. But if you become the least, you'll become the greatest. And he gives himself as an example. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's what he concluded. And that's the end of my passage of my sermon. Why did Jesus end that way? Because why do you want the top? Shouldn't Jesus be your example? If Jesus is the one you should follow, not James and John, not those who seem to be at the top, and you're like, I want to be like them. Aren't you supposed to be like Jesus? Yes. You know where Jesus was? Oh, I can't be a disciple because God did not bless me like with them. They, those people thank him or her, and they think that he or she is more spiritual than me. I'm the least ignored. I've done this much work for God. God did not bless me as much. I didn't get complimented for that, and I didn't get my pay raise that I should deserve. And ah. Uh, do you think you're better than Jesus? Jesus Christ sure didn't get blessed like you did. He was beaten, scourged, ripped naked, crucified on a cross. Who can get any lower than that? You think you can get lower than that? Aren't we supposed to follow Jesus? Amen. Whenever that thing clouds your mind and gets you out of discipleship, you always have to ask yourself, am I better than Jesus? No. Am I better than Jesus? No. All right. I'm going uh, to do... Uh, so this is purely hypothetical. This is not real life, all right? So don't think of this as real life, okay? So I'm going to do this, okay? So people can get the memo, okay? It'll be tense for about maybe uh, 30 seconds, one minute, Okay. And then after that, you'll get it, okay? All right. Robert, you let me down. Why weren't you here to help out the brethren? Why weren't you here fulfilling your duties? Why weren't you orderly? Why weren't you here on time? Why didn't you do your best to help me out? 
after all that I've done to sacrifice and do in the ministry, and you can't even do this much? Can he look at me at the eye when I do that? Some of you are thinking, God, I'm not looking at you right now when I'm doing that. Jesus Christ is going to look at you that way. And he said, after all I've done for you, you think you're better than me? Can you look at his eyes at the judgment? I'll tell you what I would do right now if I were you. Hebrews 12, looking. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. I'd look at Jesus' bleeding face right now before I have the audacity as a disciple to think I'm better than him. I'm better than him. I'm better than him. Every bow and every eye shut. Will you look at Jesus today?